Hey everyone, thanks for listening and welcome back to Black Box Recordings Podcast. On today's episode, we talk to Dave Scans. After his career in the Navy, Dave utilized the DoD Skillbridge program to transition to his current role at General Dynamics Information Technology, where he now continues his work within the Skillbridge program. He's now the Administrator and Chief Information Officer for the DoD Skillbridge Community of Practice Group on LinkedIn, where he was able to grow the group from less than 100 members to over 4,000 in just one year. He's helped countless transitioning service members successfully line up their Skillbridge opportunity and has helped dozens of companies become approved and set their own Skillbridge program. I'm very fortunate to have him as a guest, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this with me. Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, how about, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you well. I had trouble. Skype is already having trouble this morning. Uh, it didn't want to sign me in. Also recognize my password, so it's a finicky. All, I think we're all good to go. Yeah, it's definitely a finicky program that I've had to deal with, but it's like the best rec- call recorder that I have. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of handcuffed into using it, but it seems to work gotcha. okay. So thanks for you know rolling with the punches for me. Absolutely, absolutely. How was uh, how was your guys' move? It was good. It was good. We uh, moving to Hawaii during a pandemic. I would not recommend to anybody because. They're very strict, as they should be, um, but we got here. They have a two-week mandatory quarantine, so can't you're not like allowed to leave your hotel room or anything for two weeks, and then as soon as we got out of quarantine, they shut the state back down into a lockdown, so we, we spent almost two months in a hotel just waiting, and then we finally moved into the house, but now that we're on base, we're getting settled, and then the state just lifted um, some of the restrictions, so restaurants commit 50%. Again, and uh, you, hiking trails are open. You can go to the beach. So we just went on to um, uh, Kaneohe Bay, the marine base mm-hmm. on the right side. They yep. have a really nice uh, family beach over there. So we just went there and went snorkeling on the coral reef and stuff. So it's pretty cool. I mean, it's yep. a great place to be, especially if you can't really travel right now with coronavirus. It's a it's a good place to Absolutely. be able to. <laughs> so. Cool. So you've just been working out from home right now? No, actually, uh, so our base took uh, took a lot of precautions. Uh, so I'm an instructor with uh, uh, GDIT, okay, which is a defense contracting company. Um, and so we never shut down. We got closed, but we never shut down. Um, and so I still work, but I do Skillbridge from home. I do, you know, everything on LinkedIn uh, from home, and then I'll go into the office and I'll teach my class. Awesome. So, if David, if you don't mind, we can kind of get back in or get into the interview here. So sure. What is your military background? So obviously you have a strong affinity to the military and helping people transition. So what made you, mm-hmm. what's kind of what your journey on that? So uh, I joined in 99, uh, joined to be a SEAL. Uh, didn't realize that I that I didn't have the ability to clear my ears uh, underwater. So, so diving was out of the question. Um, went to uh, sonar technician school, uh, learned how to track submarines and underwater contacts. Um, did a, did a tour in Hawaii. That was my first tour uh, on the USS Russell. Um, loved it. And uh, then left there and went to be an instructor in San Diego. Uh, spent about eight years in San Diego total before I went back to Hawaii. So I've only ever spent time in San Diego or Hawaii. So I've had a very arduous and, and just difficult career for 20 and a half years. Um but yeah, so uh, after San Diego, after uh, instructor school, <clears throat> I went to uh, the LCS, the Littoral Combat Ship uh, Program, uh, tried helping get that off the ground, 
and uh, then went back to Hawaii to the USS Chafee uh, Destroyer 90. And after that, I went back to the, uh, San Diego to the littoral combat ship program again because I enjoyed it so much. Um, and that's where I retired from. That's awesome. So I'm, I should be asking you for advice of what to do while I'm here in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my, my time was much different from my first time to my second time. Uh, it was um, it was much different. The people, uh, you know, were different towards us. And, and I guess maybe the military was different towards uh, towards the locals. But my second time from... 2011 to 2014 was much more enjoyable. Uh, I did a lot more. Uh, the island seemed to welcome us more. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I loved Hawaii. It was a beautiful place to uh, to go. Um, one of one of uh, what was it? 2012. Uh, I actually got to have Thanksgiving actually on the beach at a luau um, on Hawaii. So oh, I, I really awesome. enjoyed that. Yeah, I bet you did. Cool. So. Now you're a contractor, right, for GDIT? I am. And are you a, I guess, a member or are you a user of SkillBridge? Were you, did you use that program to transition? I did. So I first heard about SkillBridge probably May or, or maybe April of 2019. Um, and so I was getting ready to go to uh, TGPS or TAPS class. Um, I had made the decision to retire. And, uh, and I, and I learned about SkillBridge and, uh, you know, everybody who I asked about the program, uh, they didn't really know much about it. And, uh, so I started doing my own homework, um, and found out about the program, the instruction, the, the DOD instruction is very, short, very manageable to, uh, to read and understand the Navy had its own version, uh, of the, uh, they wanted the program. So I read that as well, got, got very, uh, reached out to companies, let them know uh, what I was hoping, my intentions, uh, opportunities, and I ended up doing a uh, SkillBridge internship with General Dynamics Information Technology here in San Diego. Um, had absolutely a great time, and uh, think very highly of the program. And, and I'm just trying to tell everybody I can about it, and uh, you know, help service members utilize the program effectively. So it's pretty exceptional to hear that, and that someone had success with a program like that. So now. Describe to me what you do for on LinkedIn because that's how you and I connected, and it was awesome to one use LinkedIn to reach out to a complete stranger to meet someone that's resor as resourceful as you. But how did you get into that role, and mm -hmm. what is that role that you do? Sure. So when I went through TGPS class, they uh, they have you make a LinkedIn profile if you don't already have one, uh, and and they kind of show you the ins and outs of of LinkedIn, how to set up your profile, and you know, how to do some basic searches and stuff like that. So once I made my LinkedIn profile, um, that's that's pretty much what I was concentrating on was SkillBridge. So I just did a search on on LinkedIn for SkillBridge, and this group came up, DOD SkillBridge Community of Practice. Um, there weren't any groups on on LinkedIn for it, so uh, so I requested to join. Uh, and the gentleman uh, the gentleman's name who created the group is Eddie Dunn. Uh, he works for United Health Group which is an approved DOD SkillBridge provider. Uh, and when I, I think when I joined, there were about 70, 70 people in the group. Um, and, you know, it was just a, a great place to share ideas and, and opportunities in. Um, and uh, I think Eddie got very busy at work and asked somebody to take the group administration duties over. Uh, and, and I was just going, you know, full bore into, into SkillBridge and learning everything that I can. Uh, so I volunteered and, uh, and he gave me the, the reins to the group and, 
uh, about a year later. So I think that was in August of 2019 or September of 2019 when I took over the group. We had, I think, about 85 people in the group at that time. And uh, a year later, I was able to grow it to, uh, I think when I stopped counting, it was over 2,300 people in one year joined. It was uh, service members, transition counselors, and internal company excuse me, uh, internal company recruiters uh, that have SkillBridge opportunities to offer our service members. Um, right now, we're sitting at the end of September of 2020, and we've, uh, we've passed over 3,000 uh, service members, transition counselors, and industry professionals. Yeah, and that's how I found you is that group. And I have to say, I want you to plug it again because it is such a phenomenal resource to be able to go on there and find other people that are going through these things. You can ask questions and people are... Um, very, very helpful. So one more time, what's the name of the group? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's DOD Skillbridge Community of Practice. Okay. Yeah. So definitely if you're new on LinkedIn or you're looking for some type of connection on there, that's a great resource to leverage uh, in the future. Okay. So going kind of back into the program, say that I want to transition or that your interest in SkillBridge, how do you even get started? That's that's a that's a good question. A lot of people have, uh, you know, everybody has their own path. Um, but the biggest thing with SkillBridge is getting started early. Uh, as soon as you think there may be a chance that you can transition out of the military, you know, two three years out, make that LinkedIn profile and and start networking. Uh, you know, lean into what it is you like to do or what it is you're good at, and start networking with like-minded people. Um, I, I get a lot of phone calls, emails, text messages, messages of, uh, service members who are, you know, at their six month mark or less. And they're like, okay, I'm looking for a Skillbridge opportunity. And I'm like, no, you know, you were supposed to network and you know, there's, it's, it's not, there's no consolidated list of opportunities to choose from. I mean, this program is huge and, um, there are opportunities being created and, and filled every day and there's no way to, you know, keep up with all of them. So, so the best way is just to jump on LinkedIn, create a profile, uh, and, and just kind of lean into who you are and what you like and uh, start start reaching out to those companies who employ people doing what you want to do in the cities where you want to live. Um, I think it's very similar to how a person would search for a job, right? If you were to go onto Google and you wanted to be a project manager in San Diego, that's what you would do, project management jobs, San Diego. And, and you know, you'd see a whole bunch of companies and opportunities pop up and so looking for SkillBridge program is is uh, fairly similar. Um, companies are being added every day to the program. Uh, the DOD program office in D.C. Uh, does an amazing job at, uh, at vetting these companies and adding them to the website uh, for the service members to be able to reference and, and look at. Um, but even companies that aren't approved for some of the branches of service are able to host SkillBridge interns. Um, and so it just, it just takes a service member to know what they want to do and where they want to do it and off to the races you go 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 you know go start finding the right opportunity for you it's extremely informative and i kind of glossed over what exactly skillbridge is and how it works for the members so i'd like to circle around to that but who it almost sounds too good to be true so describe what is exactly skillbridge and how does it work with your military transition I, I get that a lot. And because you know what, if you, if you ask people who know SkillBridge, um, there are no bad points, right? You, you write out the pros and the cons and, and there aren't any cons really, you know, it's, it's a win-win for the service member as well as the, um, uh, 
the companies. So SkillBridge allows uh, active duty transitioning service members up to six months of internship or apprenticeship time um, that should hopefully lead into uh, a paid full-time position. So a service member can take the uniform off while still on active duty and be able to go work with a company with the hopes of getting trained up and qualified enough to where that company wants to hire them. And, and that really eases the transition burden of the service member, right? There are only a few things that we worry about when we transition and how am I going to get paid and how am I going to feed my family are, are, you know, usually right up there at the top for most service members. So what Skillbridge does is um, really promote service members to find their next, uh, you know, career path before they cross that blue line for the last time. Um, the uh, the DOD and the, and the branches pay a lot of money in unemployment for service members that don't set themselves up for success beforehand. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why Skillbridge was created was to uh, ease the unemployment burden and uh, to really give service members a leg up on, on the way out. So essentially, if you're active duty, you're getting all your Air Force benefits for six months, getting paid, getting health care, still accruing leave you just basically go work for another company and the company benefits because they don't have to pay you, but they're getting to train you. So like you said, win-win service member company, the only people that seem to maybe lose out a little bit is the air force or excuse me, the military in general, DOD. Have you seen any pushback or go ahead? Yeah. So, so with that actually, uh, so the program was created by the army and, and uh, you know, kudos to them for really getting this thing uh, up and running. Um, and right now, actually, the Army is the only uh, department branch that replaces soldiers who get approved to do Skillbridge internships. So when an Army commanding officer says, yes, you're free to go do your Skillbridge, um, manning is always an issue, right? Because we're a military, we have to be ready. Uh, the, uh, the command gets a replacement soldier before the soldier leaves to do their Skillbridge internship. So really, the Army's created a great way to to kind of minimize the uh, the reason for a soldier to be denied access to do Skillbridge. Um, and, and uh, you know, we'd love to see the other branches uh, circle around and, and do something like that, because um, manning is always going to be an issue. Right. We, we never want to short staff our uh, our deployable forces um, and, and lower our state of readiness. So yeah, that's phenomenal. And I think that it's important for more people to learn about it earlier especially commanders and those that may be approving this to get this information out because yes, it'd be great if everybody did 20 years, but that's not the reality of it. Right. So how can we maybe teach more people to use the program and also prepare units and squadrons and companies to get ready so that they can set their members up for success, whether they want to stay in or not, they're already making the right steps to go and transition through SkillBridge or reach out to that company and start having the conversation in a timely manner. Sure. So the program office, uh, who's led by Boris Kuhn in DC, uh, they do an amazing job. And, and that's one of the things that I know they're trying to tackle is how do you get the word out to service members in time to ensure that they're able to, um, at least look into doing a Skillbridge internship. Um, one of the things that the uh, individual branches are doing, I know the air force has all of their, uh, Skillbridge requests go through their education office. So an airman would get approval from their commanding officer, and then the rest of the procedure is done through the education office. So um, it could be anything as far as 
you know, just a little bit of advice to, you know, complete handholding, whatever the service member needs to, uh, to get the internship that they're looking for. Um, the Army, the SFL TAP counselors do an amazing job. Uh, a lot of them are extremely knowledgeable on the program. Um, Navy and Marine Corps are, are, are also getting trained up on that stuff uh, as well, their service counselors. Um, but one of the best ways uh, to get this information out to the fleet is not only by training the transition counselors, but also discussing this program in, in fairly decent detail when uh, a commanding officer goes to their commanding officer school, right, prospective commanding officer school, to learn how to be a CO. And also on the enlisted side, the senior enlisted leadership school, um, putting this information out there so that way these, uh, these leaderships can, uh, you know, get a, get a good understanding of the program. So that way, when a service member presents a request to say, you know, please let me out of uniform for six months, you know, the, the leadership doesn't think, are you kidding me? You're, you're just trying to, you know, skate for, you know, the next six months for free um, when, when that's really not the case. So pushing it from all angles and, and educating people uh, from service counselors, from, you know, the triad, your, your leadership triad, um, you know, in doc, when you check onto a, a command. Maybe making that part of uh, the indoc, letting them know about programs like this that service members can take advantage of later on down the road when, when possibly they're looking to transition. That, so we really need to hit it from all angles. Yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to do this interview with you because so I backstory I'm a big fan of the rule of three. So if I hear something three times, I usually try it out. Um, but I heard a skill bridge somewhere in the Air Force randomly, and I was like, oh, that sounds almost like a Ponzi scheme uh, just because it sounded so good. Um, and then I created LinkedIn and I got, uh, notified of your group. And then I heard about it somewhere else in a different networking group. And I was like, man, this thing's pretty interesting. Um, I think more people need to learn about it, obviously. And I don't want to be a broken record here, but I really want to create a resource like this, uh, hopefully to push out and, and educate more people because too many times I've seen, uh, my airmen or people get out without a solid plan or they don't know it's an option until like you, they said they go to taps and it can be too little too late at that point. So whatever I can do to help other people uh, learn and, and use the program is f awesome, you know, and you've done a really great job helping to educate a lot of people. So it's really cool to see how much your group has grown as well. Going from, like you said, less than a hundred to over 3000, which I think you're being a little modest. I think I checked your numbers recently and it was more than that. So, um, <laughs> Okay, so we talked about barriers to entry being, you know, timeliness is probably number one, I would say. But is there anything else you've seen for people getting denied or not being prepared to enter? Um, yes. So people not knowing what they want to do. People, um, I get a lot of service members say, you know, I'll ask them, what do you want to do? And they'll be like, I, I want to do anything. You know, so not really understanding what the program is from a service member's perspective. Uh, maybe their intentions are, you know, they've had a difficult military career, however long or short it's been, and and they are just looking to get out of uniform and, uh, you know, do something, do something else, and just hoping that it pans out. Uh, but really, they should be leaning into themselves. Really, they need to, you know, look at what it is that they enjoy and what it what it is they want to do, um, and really come into this as a, a, you know, with a focused search, um, and and find their opportunities that way. So a lot of people, especially the military, is very good at teaching you that – I hate to say this – but that you're not special. Or we like to think that like as a individual, like, hey, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job. 
And I think that leads a lot to people not knowing how to sell themselves on the civilian side or knowing what skills they actually have. So I know personally when I was like, well, what, what would I want to do outside of, so being an aviator, if I want to go be a project manager, do I really have the skills to do that? How would you recommend, say you're a airman or you're a enlisted member, or an officer looking at what you're good at and leveraging those skills into the civilian world? Because I know personally, I say, I don't know what I want to do. And how can I even start that process to find that, you know, and, and start working with a company to figure out what's a good match? Yeah. So I think the first school of thought <clears throat> for a service member to uh, really figure out what it is they're good at or, or what they want to do is by utilizing their evaluations. Every service member gets evaluated at least once a year from their unit. Uh, and so really, you know, just going over that and looking through your history of what jobs you've done in the military and how good you were at them, uh, that's that's a great way to uh, to start off your skill research, um, especially if you enjoy what it is that you're doing in the military. The other school of thought is when you're not in uniform, what do you go home and do? You know, what what are your hobbies? Okay, to me, you know, I know what the American dream used to be or, or what everybody thinks the American dream is. To me, the American dream is waking up and getting paid for something that you love to do, getting paid for a hobby. You know, for those people that wake up every day, you know, Monday morning and they're like, oh, God, Mondays, you know, that's that's a terrible life to live. You know, everybody should be getting up, going to work and doing something that they love to do. And uh, and that's what I want for all these service members, you know, whatever they want to get paid for whatever their hobby is or whatever they enjoy. That's what I want them to get paid for. So if you, you know, take off the uniform when you get home and, and you're jumping on, you know, a, a gaming console, do you want to design games? Do you want to be a beta tester? You know, it's, what are you doing? A lot of people code. Okay. So just kind of leaning into what it is you like to do. Just, just sit back and think, what is it? How do I spend my time? What is it that I do? And, and, and go from there. And then are you able to monetize something like that? There's, I mean, this is 2020. There are companies popping up all over the place that do, you know, they're doing just about everything. Anything that you're doing, somebody else is figuring out how to monetize it. And so I think it's a really good way. Two schools of thought for a service member to start off with to uh, figure out, you know, what do, you, what do they want to do for SkillBridge? That's great advice because I liked what you said about leaning into yourself. And I think more people, I know, I, for a while, felt that I don't have time to have hobbies because I want to be good at my job, which you should still want to be good at your job. But finding out what your hobbies are and developing yourself should be at the forefront. So definitely you need to encourage more people. And for whether you're a supervisor or a squadron commander, whatever it may be, but encouraging people to in, under you to seek out what they like. Because like you said, you don't want to wake up every day doing something you, do, you don't like. Um, so that's a really, really good answer. And that's really good advice. That's, that's why we suggest, uh, service members starting as soon as, as soon as possible, right? This isn't a quick process, right? You never want to be quick. Don't, don't do anything, you know, quick with this, right? This is definitely something that's going to take some time. Uh, like I said, there's no consolidated list of opportunities and you never want to go the quick route. Um, you always want to, you know, put some time and, and effort into thinking, you know, who you are, what you like to do. And, um, you know, there, there's a statistic that's out there uh, that I saw recently, I think from the Department of Labor, that said 70 percent of transitioning military members leave their first job within the first year that they get out of the military. That's a huge number of people that are not understanding, you know, either 
what they like to do, or they're not putting the time in the proper time in to vet the company and and you know select the company that has a good company culture or uh, the, you know offer them a job that will allow them to go in the direction that they want to go. So, you know, taking more time to to do that process of transitioning and figuring out what you want to do is is really something that's going to benefit the service member in the long run. So a couple of things you hit on there that I want to touch on. Um, so as far as preparing yourself, one, do you think there's a stigma that if you identify early that, hey, I may want to transition and I may want to utilize these opportunities, that that is bad for your career and that people are ashamed of that because they don't want to look. So, yeah. So what's your thoughts on that? That does it ever look bad to say, hey, so- I might get out at the end of my time in two years, three years, wherever it may be. No, I don't think it's bad at all because that's where your leadership kicks in, right? You're not, not you as a person leadership, but the people that you work for, um, that's where they come in and they start discussing, well, what are your thoughts? What are your plans? Um, not only that, but then the opposite is even worse. What if you don't start thinking about and discussing early on that you, that you may want to transition? What if you wait until your back is up against the wall? You've got two or three months left on your contract. You haven't set yourself up for success. And now you're thinking about getting out. Now you now you don't have anything, right? Now you're going to be one of those statistics where uh, you're possibly going to be on unemployment. So exploring options is always a great a great thing to do. Um, and then as you explore them, that's where your decision making is going to come in. You've looked into something, you see that it's not right for you, so you close the door on that option. Maybe it's not right for you. Maybe it's the wrong option. But discussing it and getting it out in the open. Uh, should never leadership should never look at that like uh, uh, like something that's not good, right? That's very positive. Um, so that way, also the leadership, if somebody is thinking about uh, about getting out, uh, the leadership can then support them in that manner of helping them transition successfully. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of leadership. There is a stigma, whether it's true or not, at least in my career field, that if you're performing well, but you identify yourself early, that hey, I may want to transition out that you may get passed over for different opportunities in the military. So I think that's one of those things. It's like, I think it's very good to be transparent always and say, Hey, here's my intention. Doesn't mean I'm leaving. Doesn't mean I'm not leaving, but, and then just let the cards fall where they are and, you know, try and be a true meritocracy. But I think most of it is more of a, a myth that people feel that way than it actually is reality. Cause like you said, any good leader is going to try and help their member, be set up for success because we don't want them to be unemployed and on the street later in life. So I definitely agree with what you're saying as far as preparing yourself. Something else with that. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. So, so something else about that is, you know, who, if unfortunately there, there are poor leaders, you know, wherever you go, you know, it's unfortunate, not just in the military, but, but in, in regular life. So if you feel like, um, it may be detrimental to your career uh, if you were to start discussing getting out, you know, before your retirement date. Um, maybe don't share it with those people. Maybe go to your transition counselors. Right? They're they're not going to go back to your command and tell them that you had an appointment to discuss possibly getting out. So, um, you know, maybe maybe uh, keeping that information closer to the vest and uh, and sharing it with industry professionals who can help you um, uh, look into that avenue or look into those. Uh, uh, you know, those options, uh, may also be a good fit for a service member to, uh, to utilize. That's good advice. Really good advice. 
Okay, so we talked a little bit about different organizations, and you said that the opportunities are endless. So how do I start matching myself for a job? So say I want to do project management, and I know where I want to do it at. How can I see what's available to me and start networking with those companies? So one of the first things that I tell service members to do is to go onto Google. Go onto Google and find all the companies that employ the people that do what you want to do in the city where you want to live. And just make a list. Make a list of all those companies and you'll see how saturated or or unsaturated you know the market is in that location. Um, for instance, you had mentioned project manager. A lot of people don't realize, but there are two different, you know, basic uh, project managers, right? Internal and external. Okay, so there are some some companies that all they do is project management, and they get um, retained by other companies to lead projects. Uh, and then, you know, certain uh, bigger companies have their own internal project managers to lead projects as well. So it's just kind of getting a feel for the market. Uh, you know, these days you could pretty much Google anything and and, and find the answer. Um, and, you know, places like salary.com or Glassdoor or, you know, any of those kind of sites also work very well to see what's out there and, and who's actually hiring. Um, one of the great things that LinkedIn does for service members is they give you one year free premium account when you activate it, right? So you can activate, you can, you can create a LinkedIn account and it'll be basic uh, until you start paying for it. Or uh, after you create it, at some point down the road, you can activate your one-year free premium account. And one of the things that the premium account comes with is statistical data. Uh, if you look at a company, uh, you go on their homepage on LinkedIn, you can see their trends as far as are they hiring, are they are they you know uh, letting people go, what has been their six-month, their one-year, their two-year trend to see uh, – you know what what it is they're looking for. So if you see a couple jobs for a company, go look at their trends to see. Well, are they on an upswing? Are they are they growing? Are they expanding? Or you know maybe are they declining? And these jobs maybe due to people leaving or people getting fired or you know unfortunately now because of COVID getting furloughed. Um, you know what does that data mean? Um, so so that's one of the things that I would do is uh, utilizing your online resources to uh, to kind of find out. Uh, you know, what's out there. Great. Now, do they have to be already established as an industry partner for you to use SkillBridge to work for that company? So say I find a company that's interested um, in working with me, but they don't know anything about SkillBridge and they're not an industry partner. Can I still go work for that company? So for the Navy, no. The Navy uh, in March or April of 2020, um, what they did before that was if a company was not vetted through the DOD, the Navy allowed the commanding officer of this of the sailor uh, the ability to vet the company on the service member's behalf. Now, to be a commanding officer in the Navy, just like I imagine, you know, it is across all the branches, you got to be very smart. But one of the things that they don't teach you in commanding officer school is how to vet a company. That's just not something that they teach. So commanding officers either didn't know how to do it or they didn't have time to do it or, you know, in, insert any any reason or excuse in, in the blank. Um, and so the Navy came back and was like, okay, so instead of having commanding officers do something that they're not really trained to do, why don't we just rely on, you know, our daddy, right? DOD, right? What is, what is it that the DOD says? If the DOD says that that company is good to go, that's good enough for us. So now sailors are only able to intern with DOD approved skill bridge providers. 
if a sailor finds a company that they really want to intern for and that company is not approved, hopefully that sailor has some time left in their uh, transition to where they can uh, educate the company on SkillBridge and then send them directly to the SkillBridge website where the first form that every company needs to fill out in order to start the vetting process. Um, the Army uh, allows uh, soldiers to intern with companies that are approved. Uh, if a soldier finds a company that is not approved, they have like a, a one-time approval kind of process, vetting process, where uh, the company will go through a little vetting process through the local uh, SFL tap office for that soldier to, uh, to go uh, intern for. Um, the Air Force uh, also does the same thing. They will vet companies that are, aren't already vetted through the DOD, through their education office. Um, and then the Marine Corps is, uh, I think, the least strict out of anybody. Uh, the Marine Corps allows service members to intern with anybody, both uh, approved and unapproved companies. Okay, that's awesome to know. So uh, as far as you're talking about you know, reaching out to the company, working with them, how much of that is on my own volition and I have to go do that? Or how much help am I getting through the SkillBitch program to help match me with the company? And should I consider using a third party? So that's a really good question. So uh, the DOD program office is is not staffed to be able to help individuals find uh, you know their their internship uh, opportunities. Um, when I say that there's a handful of people in DC running this program, there's literally a handful of people in DC running this program. They just they they don't have the ability to um, individually help the two hundred thousand plus transitioning service members that we have every year. So that's why a lot of this falls on uh, on the service member themselves and also the transition counselors uh, that are assigned either, you know, on base or, um, you know, the service member can get a hold of. Um, so, yes, I would say that the, uh, the brunt of the work falls on the service member, as I think that it should, right? It's, uh, it's what it goes back to what it is they want to do and where they want to do it. So, uh, utilizing Google and, and finding these resources, uh, finding these companies and reaching out to them. Um, I always suggest service members to say uh, or a company that's not familiar with SkillBridge, let them know that they've been approved to take part in an unpaid internship instead of you've been approved to take part in SkillBridge. Because if a recruiter doesn't know what SkillBridge is, you've just put a communication block between you and the recruiter. You That service member now needs to rely on that recruiter to care enough to go find out what SkillBridge is. And recruiters are busy. You know, since I've been working in the in the SkillBridge realm, uh, I've, I've really gotten to know a lot of recruiters and, and what it is that they do and what their workload is. And and they're, they're full. You know, a lot of them have, you know, 20 to 30 job recs that they're supposed to close for their, you know, for their company. And they've got to sift through sometimes hundreds of applications to find the right uh, candidate for each job. So they're slammed. So relying on a... a uh, recruiter to go educate themselves on what skill bridges is, is really not a good plan. Uh, what I suggest service members do is say that they've been approved to take part in an unpaid internship because everybody knows what that is. And, and so the conversation would go something like this. You've been approved to take part in an unpaid internship. Wow. What do you mean you've been approved? What program is this? And that just kind of naturally opens the door for the service member to discuss the skill bridge program with the recruiter. Um, as far as your question about third-party uh, providers, I, I, I think uh, the program is entirely too easy for both companies and service members to navigate, uh, to rely on a third-party recruiter, especially those that are for-profit, 
that, um, you know, they're, they're chasing the, the dollar, they're chasing the money. And so why rely on somebody who has a different agenda than what you do? And when I say than what you do, that's directed, you know, both towards the service member and the company. Um, this program is just really too easy to navigate. Um, it doesn't really take that much to, to get up and running. Uh, I work with recruiters all the time on, on identifying uh, the jobs that they want to offer to uh, toward, towards their skill bridge program. Uh, and I work with service members all the time to understand the, uh, the guidelines and, and, and what the program is and how to navigate it. So, uh, no, I, I wouldn't use um, third-party for-profit recruiting agencies. Uh, there are a lot of initiatives that are popping up all over the country that are sponsored by governors of the state, like InVets. That's you know the, the first one that I think that I came in contact with. Uh, InVets is uh, an initiative that Indiana came up with to help attract and, um, and employ transitioning service members. And so that office was stood up by the governor of Indiana. And so they're a nonprofit government entity, which they don't get any kickbacks and, and they don't care what company you go with. Right. They're, they just want to get people in the state of Indiana. They want to help their own economy. So, um, you know, it's not like if a company isn't partnering with that office, they're going to steer you away from them like a lot of these third party for profit companies do. It's really good. Uh, really good information. Yeah. So that's good to know, because I think a lot of times there's this stigma or not stigma, but this thought that you should hey maybe lean on somebody else. But like you said, no one can sell you better than no one knows what you want to do better than what you want to do. And I think that's important. Exactly. When you use a third party for profit recruiting agency, <clears throat> there's no networking. There's no networking involved. <clears throat> Most times that company learns about you via your, your resume. And I think we're all starting to, to realize, you know, in this day and age that we're all more than our resume, right? There's only so many words you can fit. You know, recruiters don't want to look at anything more than two pages or, um, you know, using the right buzzwords or keywords, you know, that will uh, hit in ATS. Um, so, so you're more than just your resume. And so um, a company, an employer, a recruiter should be able to get to know you for who you are, your interests, your strengths, your weaknesses. And you should be able to, in, you know, get to know the company as well. Company culture is a big thing. You may love the job, but then when you start working with the company, if you don't like the people that you're, you know, that are, that you're surrounded with, that's not, you know, a good recipe. Uh, you know, if you don't like, um, you know, the environment that you're working in, that's not a good recipe. So uh, it's the interview is a two-way street. When when somebody gets interviewed for a job or a skill bridge opportunity, it's the company interviewing the uh, prospective employee, and then it's the service member interviewing the company. And, and both of them should be seeing if they're a good fit for each other. It's interesting. You're the second person to tell me that, that, hey, you got to figure out, it's not just give me a job, please, any job, any job. It's, hey, you need to look what's good for you because you don't want to be that person that's not a good fit. And then you're leaving trying to find work in a year or two years. Um, something else you mentioned when we spoke a little bit earlier was that you probably should start looking at about two years out, um, at least starting to get all this stuff, all your ducks in a row. If I'm about two years out or someone is two years out and they want to start getting ready, what skills should they start working on now to prepare themselves for transition? So I think service members should, uh, should find out what do people in that industry, right? Whatever they're interested in doing, what do people that do what, what the service member wants to do? What kind of education do they have in that field? Um, and then they should copy that, right? They should do that, right? I think what's the easiest way to 
be a millionaire, right? You know, go to, you know, follow Warren Buffett and see, you know, what it is that he did. You know, if you copy success, you're likely to be successful. And so uh, finding out who's in the industry that does what you want to do and doing what they did to get to where they are is is just a really way of, uh, you know, finding your path. Um, so formal education, degrees, uh, apprenticeships, um, uh, certifications, right? I think every branch has the cool program, Navy cool, Army cool, where you have hundreds, if not thousands of certifications to choose from uh, to be able to go into, get certified before you even leave the service. So that way you've got that, that background and you can earn multiple certifications. Um, the, uh, then there's the Onwards Opportunity Program, which is backed by Syracuse University, which is an amazing program that when, uh, when the cool program stops, the Onward to Opportunity program begins. And so you're unable to do cool or have cool pay for a certification when you leave the service, but Onward to Opportunity will pay for one certification even after you've transitioned. So I think that's a huge benefit for service members. Um, they give you uh, one year's access to their online training programs. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of self-study. Um, and, uh, and, and you're able to earn one more certification completely for free. Uh, and that includes getting the training material for free as well, because a lot of these uh, certifications cost, you know, upwards of like a thousand dollars, 700 to a thousand dollars for the certification. And then the training material is going to cost several hundred dollars, you know, uh, as well. So getting all of that for free wrapped up into, uh, into one package is, uh, is a great deal that every service member should, should take advantage of. Yeah. I had never heard of onward. Um, so one more time, what was that program? Onward to Opportunity. Onward to Opportunity through Syracuse. Never heard of it until you mentioned it in your talking points. Also, the Cool Program. Can you elaborate on what that is? Because I don't. I think a lot of people don't take the trips to their education office as much as they should. So, what is the Cool Program? So, the Cool Program uh, is a way for service members to get um, uh, certifications paid for uh, in the certification areas that they that they want. Um, I think, and, and I'm not sure which branches of the military still do this, but a uh, service member may be limited to the certifications that just involve their job. For instance, uh, an IT specialist can do, you know, security plus and ethical hacking and, and stuff like that. But, you know, going and doing, you know, your uh, APHR, right, for human resources may not be uh, approved because you're an IT specialist, not an HR specialist. So, but I do think some of the branches are moving towards uh, allowing service members to get any certification um, because they really just want the service member to, to better themselves. And if a service member is bettering themselves, they're going to better the branch and their command. It's, it's just a natural you know, way things work. Um, so, but it is only uh, able to be utilized while you're active duty. And so once you're no longer active, I think um, the Navy just recently moved it from, uh, you had to have six months left in the Navy to be able to use cool to two months, right? So you can use Navy Cool all the way up until your two-month mark from when you're going to transition. Um, and I think each branch kind of runs it a little bit differently, so I don't know the timeline for all the branches, but I do know that all the branches limit it to active duty service members. So once you transition, you're no longer eligible to utilize the Cool program. That's a ph phenomenal resource, though, and it's definitely something more because of the doing the podcast I've been learning is, Hey, I should try and build my own education. It doesn't always have to be degree related either. That certificates carry a lot of weight in the civilian sector. Um, so one specifically I'm doing right now personally is, um, 
trying to learn code in Python just for fun. There's like, so Coursera has good courses out there as well that are accredited through different universities. The one I'm doing is University of Michigan. Um, so like you said, I agree that if all you're doing is making yourself or better and learning a new skill, I mean, even if you just take a skill on how to do macros in Excel, now if you're that guy in the in the squadron that or battalion or whatever that hey we have this project and you can do it better that's just helping you out so i encourage everybody to just try and do that self-study and and take on something new for sure so that's a great resource thanks for elaborating on that absolutely so uh you talked to as well about resume writing do you see a lot of problems with that and then are there resources out there to help people write their resumes so they can get the visibility when they come across recruiter's desk for SkillBridge. Absolutely. So uh, most transition counselors are well-versed in resume writing. Um, there's really no one format that a service member needs to stick to when they're writing their resume. Uh, you know, if you put two resumes side by side from two different people, they're likely going to look different. Um, each recruiter kind of has their own preferences as well. Uh, some recruiters like uh, resumes to be in bullet format. Um, some recruiters like the paragraph method, you know, everything that you did, uh, with a company within your time frame when you were there. So there's really no, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of set, uh, rules for, uh, for resumes. Um, I, I think most recruiters would like them to be one to two pages long, um, except for federal, right? Federal resumes are going to be just about everything that you've ever done. And those are likely to be much longer, you know, sometimes 10 to 15 you know, pages, everything from your volunteer work to, um, you know, all, all the jobs and duties and anything that you've ever accomplished should be on your federal resume. Um, so, yeah, if you if you don't feel comfortable writing your own resume, uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, resources for a service member to take advantage of uh, transition counselors. Like I said, uh, there's the USO Pathfinders. Uh, those Pathfinder scouts are essentially like transition counselors, uh, and they do a phenomenal job assisting uh, service members in finding opportunities and, and writing resumes and helping them uh, learn how to interview, given those, you know, those interview skills. Um, Hire Heroes USA is another great resource that service members can utilize to help uh, write their resume. Because really, I would say, you know, nine, nine and a half out of 10 companies now utilize some form of ATS, right? Automatic uh, tracking service or system or something like that for resumes. Um, and so if you're applying online, then likely your resume is going through their ATS. Uh, and so keywords need to be in your resume. So if a, uh, if a job description is talking about, you know, being a project manager and managing and coordinating, you know, there are certain keywords that should be uh, sprinkled in across your resume. So that way the ATS hits for the recruiter to review your resume. If you're not speaking the same language as the job description is written, your, your resume is likely not going to get flagged for recruiter review. Um, and so you may be, you know, amazing. You may have, you know, 10 years of experience with a master's and, you know, six certifications, but, uh, if you don't write your resume in the same language as, a, as the job description, uh, you're, you're likely doing yourself a disservice and uh, you may not even get an interview. It, I just want to add to that. So I did an interview with a guy that specializes in um, how to write your LinkedIn profile. And he said that with these services, the ATS is that the best way to submit your resume to them is in plain text because 
if it has a too fancy of a font or something weird in your format that it actually kicks it to a key I think called the bit bucket, but you basically don't get seen by the recruiter at all. So just another thing of advice is that it's cool if it looks great, bring that one to the, to the interview, but for these systems, uh, the best way is plain text. And like you said, gotcha. matching the keywords so the algorithm can, can pick up on it, which is apparently very important. So it is, it is. That's a, that's a great point. Okay, so we talked about certificates and resumes, all these different things you can do. Um, for you personally, I want to ask, so you did SkillBridge. You had your six-month six intern, I'm assuming. How was that for you? Was it intimidating? Did you feel prepared going into your job? And was the company great to work with on it? And I don't mean to like you know pit you against your current company at all, but how was it? Sure. So I would say that my SkillBridge internship was was not like most people's internships. Um, I found this opportunity. So there's a Facebook group where uh, recruiters go to post opportunities for combat system type jobs. So anybody that deals with weapons or you know fire control radars or, or anything like that for the Navy. Uh, so this gentleman from GDIT posted a job to the group. And I was like, oh my God, I'm perfect for this. Uh, but I was still about nine months out. And so what I did was I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm still a little bit you know, too far out for you probably to consider me to, uh, to be hired. What do you think about taking me on as an unpaid intern um, to, to then give me the ability to uh, you know, prove to you and show you what I can do? And so he didn't really know anything about the, the SkillBridge program. So uh, we discussed the SkillBridge program and the company happened to be approved, which neither one of us realized at the time. Uh, so it really worked out. So he brought me on to do basically the job that he advertised for for free. When uh, when I got on and started my SkillBridge internship, uh, he did an absolutely amazing job. I can't thank him enough. After my first month of uh, being with him in the SkillBridge program, he started shopping me around to other recruiters within the company for jobs that he knew of that I may be either interested in or qualified for. And so I had several interviews with other recruiters within uh, the company um, to see, you know, what that job was like and, and maybe what my interest in and capabilities were in that job. Um, not only that, my sponsor uh, shopped me around to different offices in San Diego uh, that basically did training. So uh, so my company owns all of the, the training for surface combat system ships uh, in San Diego. So we have multiple offices in San Diego that do training, but a little bit differently, right? They, they train on different subjects or, uh, you know, the way that they train is different. So one of the things that he allowed me to do was go spend, you know, a month or two at these offices to see, do I enjoy the work? Do I enjoy the people? And basically what he did at the end of the internship was, you know, I have these positions available, which one would you like? And so I thought that that was phenomenal. If, um, if companies can do something like that, I mean, service members are going to trip over themselves to get, you know, this 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 opportunity put in front of them uh, from from speaking with uh, service members. That's not typical. Um, that That's very atypical. Most of the time, uh, companies bring on a service member to do a specific job. And uh, and, and there isn't either <clears throat> a real ability or, or desire to shop them around throughout the company. Uh, for, for different positions, but, um, but I was very fortunate in, in my SkillBridge uh, internship. And um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that's, this is one of the reasons why I'm shouting from, 
you know, the tallest mountain to anybody who will listen to me uh, about the Skillbridge program. Uh, you know, my, my company isn't the only one that is doing this or, or needs to do this. You know, any company can do this if they're structured, they structure their program like this. Yeah, that sounds like a golden opportunity to, hey, not only here's a potential opportunity, but let's like see what else you might like and see things. And that's why it's important to get out there and see what you want to do and get yourself ready so that when opportunity pre- presents itself, you're ready to do it. Um, so what if you don't like the job though? Say you get there, you do your six months and you decide it's not for you. Is there an ability to leave that job and not work for that company and take those skills elsewhere? I mean, I don't encourage that, but you know, I don't want people to feel like they are handcuffed for the rest of their life to this company. So what's your advice on that? Sure. So to, to kind of back up just a little bit, that's why it's so important for the service member and the company to network with each other, to learn about each other. Because before the, the company brings on that service member and before the service member starts that internship, they should both have uh, a warm and fuzzy about each other, right? They should both be excited to have each other, uh, you, know, you know, working on this project. Um, but yes, during, during, the, uh, during the internship, nobody is guaranteed anything. Nobody is required to do anything, right? There's a little bit more of an expectation on the company side where uh, they do need to hire 85% of the uh, Skillbridge interns that they bring on. Um, and, if, and if they don't, then the program office is just gonna you know, try to figure out and help the company understand why that's happening. Why are they not hiring 85%? Um, but yeah, if, if, a, if a company is not happy with the service member, they're not guaranteed. They don't have to offer that service member a job and, and conversely, if a, if a service member is not happy with uh, – they don't have to accept a job offer. Um, I, don't, I, think, I think a lot less companies and a lot less service members would take part in this program if there were upfront guarantees um, because if you were handcuffed into something, nobody, nobody really wants that. So, um, yeah, you always have the ability to leave your internship early if it's just not for you, uh, which I've known service members to do. And, and not everybody gets a job because maybe they just don't perform to the level that the uh, company expects. Yeah, that's good advice to realize, hey, nothing's guaranteed. And just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean you'll have the opportunity later as well. But I do think it's important for people in the military to realize because you're so used to signing up and saying, hey, I'm guaranteed a job basically for so many years. And mm-hmm. this is the only option I have that you do have options and people need to learn what those options are. So. That's great. All good yeah. stuff. I, I always suggest service members never put all of your eggs in one basket. Um, even even while I was uh, interning with my company, um, I was I was still looking at other you know possibilities. And um, you know while I was happy at my company, I knew that there was a chance that the company would not offer me a job. And so I didn't want to be caught you know with my pants down and uh, you know cross the blue line for the last time with no way to feed myself or my family. So. Uh, so I continue to uh, network with other companies and recruiters and, and look for uh, opportunities. Um, but uh, but I'm but I'm glad that my internship you know worked out and, and uh, resulted in a paid opportunity. Phenomenal, just phenomenal. Uh, so one question, I'd, additional question I had was: say you live somewhere kind of remote, so a lot of Air Force bases are not in San Diego. I'm pretty sure. Say yeah. I, so say I live in West Texas and I want to work in Austin or I want to work in San Diego, but I still have six months left. 
Uh, are there barriers to how far away I'm allowed to do my DOD skill bridge or is there workarounds for that? So that's a really good question. And uh, unfortunately, because of COVID now, uh, that is a question that's, that's in the limelight, right? That, that is uh, a little more of a focus for commanding officers. So when COVID was at full swing and most of the country was shut down, um, the branches had put out information to commanding officers to not allow service members to either do skill bridge or to uh, to limit them to 50 miles from either their home or their uh, permanent duty station. Uh, now, I think commanding officers are able to utilize their discretion uh, and see what the likelihood or, or what's the um, what's COVID like where the where the person is stationed and what's COVID like where they want to go. Uh, and so a commanding officer is likely not going to uh, approve somebody to go towards a city that is, uh, you know, high case that has high cases of COVID. Um, commanding officers are still going to, you know, look out for their people. Um, something else along those lines is uh, there's a program where service members can use unused barracks rooms on bases that are closer to their Skillbridge internship location. Um, and the reason for that is because they really want to make this program as free as possible to both the company and the service member. So if a service member is at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and they want to do their internship in San Francisco, you know, which toggles between number one and number two in the country is, you know, being the most expensive. Um, the ability for them to either, you know, rent a room or get an apartment or, or something like that is, you know, you're, you're, there's no stipend. There's no skill bridge stipend. You're not getting any more mon money as a service member to uh, to utilize the skill bridge program. So it's going to be very difficult for somebody to use Oklahoma pay and live in San Francisco. Um, the opposite is not true, right? If you're, if you're getting, you know, San Francisco pay, uh, and, and BAH, it's probably going to be very easy for you to live in Oklahoma, uh, and, and survive if you needed to. But, um, really the point of the program is to have as little money come out of the service members pocket as possible. And so you can utilize unused barracks rooms on bases that are closer to your skill bridge, uh, location. Um, that does need to be set up uh, ahead of time. Um, and again, they're not going to kick any other service member out of their barracks room for you to utilize your Skillbridge internship. So you're, you're definitely going to want to reach out to those barracks uh, ahead of time and, uh, and plan this. Um, yeah. It's mind-blowing. I mean, some people, it's just great to hear this is such a great resource that's out there, that a program that mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know about. So I'm just... I don't know. This has been awesome. I've learned a ton talking to you. Um, I have one more question and then I want to kind of kick it to you for some additional things you might want to discuss. Uh, I have read that there are some opportunities for military spouses. Is that true or how does that work if you're not the active duty member? So uh, uh, third party companies like Hiring Our Heroes, uh, they have uh, programs to help uh, spouses get into internships as, as well. Uh, right now, the uh, the DOD program office is uh, looking at expanding it to not only spouses, but um, also the Coast Guard. For those that don't know, there is a bill in uh, that's been uh, approved in Congress and, and I think now is in possibly in front of the Senate. Uh, there's a bill for the Coast Guard to become, uh, you know, to, to utilize the Skillbridge program, as well as uh, reservists and National Guardsmen. So uh, while I know that there are some reservists and National Guardsmen who are utilizing the program uh, under the legal uh, you know, language, they're, they're actually not entitled to it just yet. 
but uh, but there are bills um, in in the uh, Senate to approve to allow them to uh, to utilize the Skillbridge program. So uh, spouses, um, that is a, that's actually a really huge uh, demographics of uh, unemployment. Um, and, and I learned this only through my time, you know, dealing with Skillbridge is that, you know, because spouses have to move sometimes every two to three years, it's very difficult for them to get a job and keep a job. Because if a company knows that you're just going to, you know, leave them in a couple of years, it's kind of a turnoff for the company. Uh, but if, if, you know, Skillbridge can create uh, an avenue for spouses to take advantage of and then move to a different location and, and get a job fairly quickly once they uh, get settled in. Um, that's going to help the economy, you know, across the board, all the states and all the, uh, you know, and, and the country itself. We're going to be able to close that gap for um, for spouses being unemployed. Yeah, I know that's a huge issue. Um, I've seen is that you have a, a high amount of these spouses that have degrees, certificates, and they end up deciding not to work because, or they can't get a job that they feel that they're trained in because, again. They may the company may not want to hire someone for only two years, three years. So, definitely great. It's it's really unfortunate, and um, you know sometimes uh, a good thing may be for a spouse to get a get a job with a, a company that's large and in multiple cities and states. So that way, uh, maybe there's a possibility of them laterally transferring into a position, you know, wherever their spouse is uh, is moving to, you know, going to get stationed in. Um, it's, it's those smaller companies when you continuously, you're an outsider and you have to interview to get, you know, that job and, and, and be, you know, get in the company. Um, once you're a lot of times companies hire from within. So if you're already in the company and you're transferring to another, another location, you know, transferring laterally or, or even making some kind of change within that company with, with a job that you're going to do is a lot of times a lot easier than starting from scratch and interviewing with different companies to try to, you know, seek employment. Awesome. Well, hey, David, that's all the questions I had. I know you mentioned, though, you want to discuss maybe a little bit about networking and some things you mentioned maybe you want to discuss networking as well. So what's kind of your thoughts on how to network, when you should do it, why you should do it? Just anything you got. So there are more people. Uh, there are more people getting hired these days because of who they know instead of what they know. And so what that tells me is that uh, it's it's important for you to have a meaningful network, right? When you're on LinkedIn, um, you should be liking and commenting on posts, you know, that uh, that come across your feed. And obviously, you should only be following the things that interest you. Um, so the people that you conversate with, the people that you're usually entering into conversations with online on on LinkedIn, are great people to network with. Um, I, I call those your like-minded people. Okay, if you're following the same topics and or the same companies. Um, Reach, reach out to them. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's going to come across an opportunity one day and they're going to think of you because of, you know, your, your conversations that you've had with them. Um, also with networking, uh, for, for, <laughs> uh, for me personally, um, I want to give a shout out to, uh, Kristen Scott and Jeffrey Lee. Jeffrey Lee is a, uh, uh, SFL tap counselor who has really helped me, uh, understand the, uh, the Skillbridge program. Uh, and, and help me uh, learn about some of the companies that are involved in Skillbridge. Um, also, uh, Candy Tillman, Candy Tillman and 50 Strong, they have an amazing webinar series that uh, highlight companies that do Skillbridge programs. Um, and it's every Thursday at 12 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. 
Uh, she puts on amazing webinars. So I, I highly encourage you to check out uh, Candy Tillman's webinars. Um, networking with people like them, uh, are you're just going to find yourself in a really good spot. Um, some people get overwhelmed because they just get all of this information that they didn't have before. And, and at first they start off with a smile on their face and they're like, oh crap, that was a lot. You know, like, where do I, okay, so where do I start? I have all this information, where do I go? And so uh, uh, Tyrone Hewitt, which is uh, one of my favorite uh, transition counselors, um, he works with, with anybody, he works with anybody and he shares amazing content on LinkedIn. Um, utilizing people like that, that are real advocates, that are willing to, you know, speak with service members and companies uh, for the simple fact that they enjoy it and, and they're there to help. Uh, that that's, those are really the people that you should have in your network. Um, a lot of people chase that coveted number of 500, right? When you, when you look on somebody's LinkedIn profile, you can see how many people they have in their network up to 500. And so, uh, there are some service members that think that they're just supposed to, you know, network with everybody and I got to get to 500 or I don't mean anything. You know, it's, that's not true. That's not true at all. It's more important for you to have a quality network than a quant, you know, a, a high quantity network because your network is, is, should be based on relationships. And so if you need something, if you have a question and you reach out to your network and you get crickets, then you don't have a network. You know, you just have 500 people or, or however many that hit that blue connect button. So uh, I would really reach out to people that are like-minded to you and that are, and that are willing to help you, uh, you know, either learn or, or, you know, get your foot in the door somewhere. So, um, yeah, that's net networking is extremely important. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of industries where education is also important. Like you can't be a doctor without going to medical school and, you know, you're, you're not going to be an IT specialist without some kind of, you know, certifications, but there are a lot of jobs and a lot of industries that don't require uh, a whole lot of education in that field. And so the desire and the aptitude to get into that field and, and do that job, uh, means something. And then knowing people that can help get your, your foot in the door is, uh, is also going to be very beneficial for you. What you said about networking uh, resonates a lot with me. Um, a previous interview I had done, a friend of mine, he discussed that exact concept that, listen, networking shouldn't be about, hey, what can I get from you? It should be you're actually taking the time to develop relationship wealth and get to know somebody. And it can be as simple as, hey, man, let's grab a beer. I'll buy you a beer. Just tell me how you, you know, what you, what you've done and, and just get to know that person because I think people get too caught up in the buzzword of networking and they just want it to be this thing like, Hey, how many friends can I get on LinkedIn? How many people do I know? Not like you said, how well do I know these people and, and how well are they willing to go to bat for you? Um, so I think there's a big, there should be a big push to kind of condense down and focus on the connections that matter and really cultivate those connections. And it's easier said than done. I mean, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, it's easy to just get likes and push things out, but it's harder to actually take the time to get to know somebody. So those are all great resources that you've mentioned. Um, that maybe one of I've actually removed people from my network. So when, when I've asked something of someone, uh, you know, multiple times and, and I don't get anything back, uh, you're, you're no longer a connection to me. So I've, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I actually removed people from my network who, uh, who work for big companies who just weren't providing any kind of value or, or resource for me. So I removed them. They're, they're not a contact. So you mentioned a lot of names, uh, Candy Tillman, Tyrone Hewitt. Where can people go to find these people and start to connect with them, reach out to them? What's the best way to go about that? 
So whenever you're connecting with somebody on LinkedIn, uh, you should always send a note. Okay. When you hit that connect button, uh, another pop-up box will, will appear and it says, you know, do you wish to add a note or something like that? You should always uh, include a note when you're looking to connect with somebody. Um, it's unprofessional to request a relationship with somebody uh, without sending them the reason why you want a relationship with them. Um, some people have Lion, L-I-O-N, next to their name on LinkedIn, and that stands for LinkedIn Open Networker. And there are some people, uh, a lot of recruiters are lions by nature because they need to fill jobs and having a larger network is easier for them to fill a job than if they had a smaller network, right? It's just a, a numbers game. So, um, but most people on LinkedIn are not lions. So if somebody sends a connection request, if you don't state, you know, uh, what it is that you can do for them or what you want from them, a lot of people are going to get denied, right? So I always send a connection request with a note. Um, most service members don't send me a note along with uh, a connection request, but I understand that, you know, the military doesn't train you on how to utilize LinkedIn all that much. You know, you only get a, a snippet of it when you go to your transition class. Um, so when a military, re you know, when a military member reaches out to me uh, and, and asks for a connection request without sending me a note, I know what they want from me. So I accept it. Um, but, you know, I, I screen everybody who wants to connect with me and excuse me, I just, uh, I denied a couple people today when I woke up, I had a dozen new connection requests and, um, and there was somebody who just said something as simple as, Hey, I'd love to connect with you and be in your network. Uh, and then when I looked on his profile, we had nothing in common. Like I couldn't understand what it is he wanted from me or, or what I can get from him. So, uh, so I denied it. You know, it just, it didn't make sense. I don't, I don't need my number to be the largest there is. Um, so that's where, you know, quality over quantity really means something. Um, as far as, you know, where to find Candy Tillman and, and Tyrone Hewitt, uh, Jeffrey Lee, um, just, just, you know, look up their names on LinkedIn. Um, and, and their profile will, uh, likely be the, you know, the, the top, top profile, um, Okay. And as far as like, you know, I, I can't encourage enough everyone to go in and actually one, have a LinkedIn and then follow the duty skill bridge group, join the group. Um, cause there are, like you said, there's not only other members in there, but there's transition counselors, there's recruiters that I believe that are on that page that you can, that can answer your questions and help you, uh, in this process of self-education. So Absolutely. We're, we're, we're finding opportunities every day, Skillbridge opportunities, and posting them directly to the group. Um, every Friday, what, one of the things that I do is I consolidate all the opportunities that were shared in the group for that week, and I, and I consolidate it into one post. And uh, LinkedIn gives me the ability to um, push that one post out once a week. I can force it into everybody's mailbox. Uh, and so what one of the things that I do is consolidate all of the opportunities into one document and push it out. And I know uh, a lot of the transition counselors are appreciative of that because, you know, a lot of them are uh, dealing with a lot of the local opportunities and sometimes don't always see the, uh, the national opportunities. Um, so, uh, so they appreciate that. Uh, I know the, uh, the industry professionals, the recruiters appreciate that because that's bringing more attention to, uh, to their opportunities and service members appreciate that as well. Um, you know, not having to scroll through a week's worth of posts and, you know, sometimes you, you can't get on LinkedIn and, and you don't want to miss, you know, that, that good bit of information. And so scrolling through one post that shows everything that's been uh, shared in the group for that week, uh, is something, you know, beneficial for everybody. 
all been amazing information. Uh, so Dave, we'll start wrapping things up here. What are your kind of parting things that you want? If you want anyone to take away from this, what would you say? Just to recap. So actually what I, what I didn't mention earlier, uh, what I'd like to mention now is when you hear of DOD Skillbridge, please tell everybody about it. Um, just, just some of the numbers that, uh, that have been shared by the program office, uh, in calendar year, 2019, we saw 8,600 Skillbridge participants from January 1st to June 30th, 2020, even during a pandemic, we saw 10,600 participants. So it's, it's growing, right? The, the, the program office is very optimistic at, you know, reaching, you know, possibly 15,000 or maybe 20,000 for calendar year, 2020, but there is still too many service members that find out about it too late. Uh, you know, I threw that that statistic out there uh, earlier of 200,000 plus transitioning service members every year. So when we look at 20,000 participants in a year, you know, that's 10%. That's not nearly enough. And, and a lot of that is attributed to, excuse me, most of that is attributed to service members not knowing about the Skillbridge program or not knowing about it early enough for them to really look into and, and properly navigate and utilize. So there are service members that are going to get out and go to school. There are service members that are going to get out and, you know, take a vacation. There are service members that are going to get out and, and work for mom and dad at the farm, right? There, there, there are going to be some of those people that the, the Skillbridge program is just not right for them at that moment, but that's not the majority of the 200,000 plus, right? So uh, I, I implore people, please share your knowledge about the Skillbridge program with every, uh, with every service member you know. We've got to do a better job at reaching the masses um, because it's it's really it's really sad when a service member when I speak to a service member and they tell me you know what their timeline is and um, you know they they either just don't have enough time or what they want to do they haven't networked with those companies to uh, be able to get their foot in the door to take advantage of a Skillbridge opportunity it's it's really sad when when a service member can't use a Skillbridge program to help help set themselves up for success so um, I think it's very avoidable. And, uh, and I'm asking everybody to, uh, to jump on the bandwagon and please tell everybody that they can about the Skillbridge program. Um, if you Google DOD Skillbridge, uh, I believe the first URL that's going to pop up is the official site. Um, I think the, uh, the link is dodskillbridge.uslearning.gov, um, and that is the official website that was launched last year. Um, it's got everything on there. It's got all the approved companies on there. It's got the, uh, the first uh, form that companies need to fill out to start the vetting process. It's got a map that shows the majority of the locations of where the Skillbridge opportunities are. Um, there's, there, you know, all of the instructions, all of the branches, right? The DOD created this umbrella and, um, they, each branch has their own bit of autonomy to, uh, to guide and, and, and do the Skillbridge program as they see fit. And so all of those instructions are on the page. Uh, uh, on the site for, um, you know, companies to, to understand as well as service members. So please check out the DOD Skillbridge site. Um, it's a, it's a huge wealth of, uh, of information. Yeah, that's been, everything you've been saying has just been amazing. I mean, it's exceeded expectations of what the program is and you've been so knowledgeable, so helpful. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, do anything else you want to plug any books, anything that you're just like, Hey, don't watch last season of Game of Thrones, whatever it may be. <laughs> um, 
you know, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I um, missing out. <laughs> I've been told. I've been told. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe for you to uh, to kind of um, reach laterally, doing a podcast with possibly Candy Tillman um, would would be amazing uh, because she really does uh, some great things in this transition field. And then maybe having Tyrone and Jeffrey on on a podcast to uh, to then kind of you know laterally branch out and what else can transition counselors help you with uh you know what is it that they're tasked to do what are their resources you know tyrone and i a couple months ago came up with uh what we felt was a master transition checklist because every uh it seems like every base or every transition office has their own transition you know checklist what a service member should do or could do and 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 a lot of uh resources are being left off so what we tried to do was pool all of our information together to uh, to really think of you know what we wanted to make one consolidated place of uh, resources for service members to go to uh, and and I think we came up with something like five or six pages worth of information that a service member should do and could do and and what those timelines are you know so 24 months out you know 18 months out um, so so utilizing uh, Tyrone's checklist is uh, is definitely going to help somebody. Uh, transition successfully but yeah I, I would personally like that resource myself so yeah i that's one thing that's been challenging for me is visibility with the podcast um my network's only so big so when i push things out you know i might get 100 people that listen i might get 40 on an episode it's 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 tough so i'd like to grow because it's not trying to be self-serving i'm just trying to get the information out there to other people and i think part of that comes with just expanding my network um, it's been a phenomenal experience for myself. I know we're just talking right now, but the amount of people I've met and networked with that I never would have reached out to before just because I wanted to just to have a conversation has been amazing. And the ability of just saying, Hey, I just want to pick your brain about something. And most people want to help you. And most people actually want to have, well, they, they want to give their time because you're being genuine. So uh, I definitely will reach out to Candy and Tyrone at some point. I would like to, you know, I th- never thought about it. So that's a great idea. Um, thank you for the advice. Yeah. So one of the things about uh, about LinkedIn is uh, LinkedIn works differently from Facebook. Um, you know, when you create a post on Facebook, usually the only people that are going to see that post are people in your in your Facebook network. Um, so when your network or friends on Facebook like and comment on it, that post is really uh, usually still just for your uh, for your network to see, your friends to see. LinkedIn's trying to cre- uh, uh, connect everybody. So if you're ever scrolling through your your LinkedIn feed and you ever see you know so and so from your network like this post or so and so from your network commented on this post, what LinkedIn is trying to do is spread all of these posts and, and knowledge laterally. Uh, and reach as many people as possible. So when you create a post on LinkedIn, you should absolutely tag people. Okay, that's part of the algorithm is the more people you tag, the more people that are naturally going to see it first, right? And then when those people like that post and um, and uh, comment on it and even, uh, yeah, like and comment on it, um, that naturally opens up the post to that person's network. Mm-hmm. So if you create a post on LinkedIn and I like and comment on it, Originally, that post was only going to be seen by your network. Now, because I liked and commented on it, that post now has the ability to be visible to my network as well. 
So without really using any kind of numbers, it kind of doubles the visibility of that post. So tagging people uh, really helps get your post out there. And then having people like and comment on that post also uh, because of the way the, the LinkedIn algorithm is work, uh, is written uh, also helps your, your posts reach maximum visibility. Big day of the knowledge bombs. Thank you. That is super helpful. I really appreciate it. All right. Do you have anything else you want to add before we uh, end the interview? I, uh, I just appreciate uh, having me on and, and giving me the opportunity to uh, discuss the Skillbridge program with you. Um, and, uh, and I look forward to continuing to help service members utilize it and, uh, and companies uh, understand it and, and get approved. I also want to give a shout out to Brian Arrington and Vets to Industry. Uh, and, and I don't want to steal too much of Brian's thunder, but he's an amazing resource that, um, that I think all transitioning service members should, uh, should reach out to. Uh, and use his Vets to Industry network. Um, so I don't want to take too much away from him, but uh, he and I spoke and connected a couple of weeks ago. And he, when he was transitioning from the Air Force, he started coming in contact with a lot of these resources that he had never heard of. And and instead of being, uh, you know, happy and excited, you know, to learn this stuff, he went the other direction. He actually got angry because as a leader, he had helped other airmen transition. And so there were all these resources that he could have helped these airmen out with and, and presented these airmen, you know, these resources to help them. And, and he didn't know about them. And so I think he, he did, you know, he did the homework and found out there's something like 40,000 resources and, and things that are out there for service members to utilize for their transition. Um, but there's no one consolidated place. Uh, and so what he's done is he, he's created bets to industry. Uh, and, and what he wants to do is make, you know, one-stop shop library of all of these resources. Um, he's also got advocates on his team that work with service members throughout their transition process to help them with everything from, you know, are you feeling depressed or, you know, uh, how do I find a job or, you know, it's, it's all these people who have experience in the military transition field that are, that are willing and able to, to help out uh, service members. So, excuse me, vets to industry, Brian Arrington, um, I, I highly people uh, reach out. I highly encourage people to uh, reach out to him and uh, and his network and um, utilize them for what they're there for. Yeah, Dave, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I mean, your time is valuable, and I appreciate you doing this as a favor to me. So um, I really appreciate it, and I'll definitely be in contact with you and uh, trying to use your resources as well. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, that's it. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. One more time, I'd like to encourage you to go and connect on LinkedIn with the DOD Skillbridge Community of Practice Group. It's a great resource with lots of information. And if you or you know someone that would like to be interviewed, please reach out at blackboxrecordingspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, 